Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, podcast fans. This is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 193. On today's episode, I talk to Stephen Kershaw about his new book, The Harvest of War. Let's dig a little deeper. All right, welcome to the show, everyone. It's just me today. Rachel is not able to join me on this interview. But that being said, we have a great interview coming up. So we are talking to Steve Kershaw with his new book, The Harvest of War. And I wanted to say, you know, before we start this, if, if you want to pause, this is a podcast. Go check out the link in the show notes. Maybe pick up the book, take a look at it a little bit. But we're going to talk about, you know, motivations behind the book and and putting it together. So, Steve Kershaw, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be with you. All right. Well, why don't you give us a little bit of a an elevator pitch on the book right off the bat, just to get us started? Okay. Well, this is a, a book about the essentially about the Persian invasions of Greece at the beginning of the fifth century BC, which is a remarkable period of history, really. It's uh, and it tells the yeah. story in a sense of a, a powerful and mighty but highly cultured empire that tried to attack and overwhelm the independent states of Greece. And the reasons it came to grief in that, the reasons the Greeks triumphed, and uh, perhaps some of the human lessons that can be learned from all of that. Well, what, what got you interested in this in this topic? What, what made you want to write this book? Well, I've, I've been interested in the, the the world of the Greeks, particularly since uh, kind of since I was a kid, really, since about 10 years old. But <laughs> uh, everything has sort of developed from there. But it uh, it's it was it's a topic that's long interested me. In a sense, it fell into my lap from the uh, from the publisher's point of view. But it was uh, I felt that it was a always topical, worthwhile, and uh, uh, an, an interesting historical place to go. So have you written on this topic before, uh, specifically these cultures? Uh, I have indeed, yes. My, uh, my, my world is really the, the, the culture of the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans. So uh, uh, I live in their world sort of, uh, <laughs> sort of f- f- physically and intellectually, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. In writing this book, what goal did you set out to achieve, so to speak? You have some sort of a, a, an aim with a book so you can figure out how you're going to write it, You know what your chapters are going to be about, things like that. But what was your real goal with writing this book? Uh, very much so. Well, I wanted to, uh, if you like, tell 
the the narrative of this mighty clash between civilizations in a in a way that was that was clear that was interesting that was perhaps surprising mm-hmm. and that would be again I, I think of 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 value because I, I think in in learning about your history you you learn about yourself I wanted to learn about myself awesome well that sounds like a like a worthwhile endeavor for sure you mentioned in in the book i mean this is 2022 as we're recording this interview it's 2500 years since athens fought off the mighty persian empire and i'm reading this from the little thing that the publisher sent us (laughs) so you know it's a good little synopsis here but i'm just wondering can you just tell us let's i want to get into the book a little bit and the subject matter what was the sort of state of being 2,500 years ago of Athens and the Persian Empire? What what were they thinking? Why did they come together like this? Yeah, they... <laughs> Athens was newly democratic. It had, uh, within a, a sort of generation or two, had had finally crystallised the democratic system that we associate mm-hmm. with it very much. So, it wasn't a major world power, but it had. Uh, invented this remark and evolved this remarkable political system, which was unique in the ancient world at the time, that nobody else was really giving power to its people in the same way that Athens was. So they were doing something quite extraordinary, I think. True. Uh, also in Greece, there were the Spartans, who are, are big players in this mm. as well, who have a completely uh, alien form of uh, of government and lifestyle to that of the Athenians. And the, the two of them are, are very much the, looking back on it anyway, are, are the, the dominant and most interesting city-states in, in Greece. And then to the east of them, you have the might of the Persian Empire, which has, uh, it stretches all the way from what is now the coast of modern Turkey to India. It's a, a well-established empire. It's it's efficiently run by mm-hmm. power, powerful kings. It's it's a, a, a although the Greeks regard them as barbarians, they are far from barbaric. Really, they they are <laughs> you know, highly highly cultured, literate, uh, wealthy, and 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 powerful people. And, but the the two sides, I think, never really intended to go to war, but they end up being sucked into a conflict that uh, that does indeed bring them together in, in what's one of the most uh, sort of fascinating and, and significant conflicts to come out of the ancient world. I mean, back then, it always seemed like it was either like land or trade. What what set this conflict off? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's interesting actually that that our, our one of our main sources for this is the the Greek historian Herodotus, who was mm-hmm. who lived close enough in time to be able to give us insights. He could certainly interview people who had been involved in it, and there's there's wow. a number of things that he brings in. One of the things which is typically Greek thing to do, I think, is is to trace it back to mythology. So mm-hmm. it 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 all starts with the abduction of women. 
in a sort of tit for tat thing that, okay. that ends up that ends up with the Trojan War, and uh, and the Trojan War is is essentially one of those things that in in retrospect is seen as a, a great conflict between, if you like, the Western Greeks and the Eastern Trojans, who are uh, um, sort of assimilated with the with the Persians in due course, because Persia comes to take mm-hmm. over the territory that was once Troy. So the, there's that. But then the real trigger for it seems to be that the Persian Empire ruled a whole load of Greek city-states that are, as I say, not in what is now Greece, but what's now Turkey on the on the coast there. And these city-states became very disillusioned with, with Persian rule for various reasons. Um, their taxes were not put back into local circulation. Their, mm. uh, their governments were by people who are known as tyrants, um, who are not necessarily <laughs> tyrannical in the modern sense, but uh, they, they mm-hmm. are, uh, if you like, unconstitutional rulers who are backed with Persia at a time when places like Athens were becoming democratic. So there's a, if you like, there are political and economic reasons for a revolt against Persia. And these these states were egged on to, uh, to try to throw off the Persian yoke. And in that, the Athenians sent a number of ships, not very many, just 20 ships to help that revolt and, uh, and their sort of Greek kinsmen to throw off the Persians. And during that conflict, which failed, it was always going to fail in a sense. There was no way the mm-hmm. Greeks could, uh, uh, could really uh, uh, liberate themselves from somewhere as powerful as Persia at that point. But one of the things that happened was that they they burned one of the regional capital cities, uh, Sardis. And in that burning of the city, this is by the Greeks, the uh, a, a particularly important Persian temple was destroyed. So this becomes, if you like, a, a cause for war, a cause for yeah. vengeance from the from the Persian king, who at that point is Darius the first. Okay, so Persia didn't like that too much, and they decide to respond in kind. But it sounds like at this time, from what you're saying, Persia is a is a much more powerful empire, so to speak, than the Greeks were. And I'm, I'm just wondering, I mean, take us. We'll get to this. We'll get to how the Greeks actually prevailed in this in, in this endeavor. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, take yeah. us through the next take us through the next steps here. What did what did Persia do in response? Uh, yes, uh, essentially, Persia decided that they needed revenge. I mean, I mean, you you could also say that the the Persian Empire was by default expansionist as well. So it, it's it's not sure. averse to uh, to external conquests. But mm-hmm. essentially, once the revolt has been put down, the the Persian king Darius decides that he is going to invade Greece and essentially teach the Athenians a a serious lesson. He's going to burn their temples in revenge for them burning his. I think I read in there that uh, the Persia actually goes through a a regime change during this conflict as well, right? Um, What is it? uh, Is it pronounced Xerxes takes over at some point? It it does indeed, yes. So essentially Darius I makes if you like, the first invasion uh, against the Greeks, which comes to grief from his point of view, Mm -hmm. completely unexpectedly and probably (laughs) completely unexpectedly (laughs) to everyone else, uh, at the Battle of Marathon, at the Battle of Marathon in uh, in the year 490. 
mm-hmm. and where the Athenians win this extraordinary victory against uh, his forces to everybody's sort of shock and awe. And uh, Darius is never going to take a setback like that lying down, but as he prepares to... Uh, to, to make a, a second go at Greece, he then has to face uh, other difficulties within his empire and he dies. Mm-hmm. So he never gets oh. a chance to, to, to take his revenge. So the revenge project falls to his son, who is Xerxes. And mm-hmm. uh, Xerxes puts in place uh, a much, much bigger expedition, uh, sort of learning from his father's mistakes, if you like, and uh, and and bears down to Greece, uh, on Greece with the uh, utterly enormous forces okay well why don't we go ahead and take a break and find out how the greeks survived that on the other side back in a minute hey podcast fans i've got to talk to you about drinking water as an archaeologist i've been on surveys where we had to drink three to five liters of water every day that's 1.3 gallons just to basically not die sometimes that water just doesn't hydrate you as quickly as you're using it that's why we've partnered with liquid IV. The small packets make it easy to take one with you to work, to work out, or on any adventure. I like the strawberry lemonade and lemon lime ones the best. Just put one stick of liquid IV into 16 ounces of water and get hydrated two times faster than with just water alone. And now with our partnership, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code TAS at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration Today using promo code TAS at liquidiv.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 193, and I'm talking with Steve Kershaw about his book, The Harvest of War, basically about the series of battles that took place between Athens and Persia 2,500 years ago as we're recording this. I say that on the anticipation that, you know, this podcast is around for several hundred years, so we don't want it to be 2,500 years ago from then. But, you know, who who knows? Maybe we'll still be around. But when we left... The Persians mounted a, a a big response to the to the defeat that they suffered at the hands of the Greeks, and this was King Xerxes, the next one, uh, Darius's son after after he died. And how did uh, I mean this massive response? The Greeks were probably even though they won the last conflict. What kind of time frame are we talking about between the 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 end of the last battle that the Greeks actually won by you know by surprise? <laughs> And the effort that the Persians are putting forward here, I'm wondering how long the Greeks had to kind of prepare for this and, and recoup. Yeah, they have about a decade, so about 10 years. And the key thing that happens in that interlude is that they discover a very rich vein of silver in their mining oh. districts. Athens has good silver mines. And they yeah. make an extraordinary choice. They, they, they could have just dished it out to the to the people of Athens and given everyone some cash. But what they decided to do instead was to build a large fleet of state-of-the-art warships that were called triremes, which was um, sort of sold to them, actually, because it was uh, 
that they would be useful in a local war rather against the Persians. But they, they may have had one eye on the Persians as well. But the, mm-hmm. essentially, the Athenians construct uh, what becomes the biggest naval force in the Greek world at the time. Wow. So that must have helped. Where did it did. They, <laughs> <laughs> so where did this conflict take place when Persia said, all right, we don't care what you guys have. We've we've got this huge force. Xerxes is like, let's let's send it to him. Where did this where did they meet in battle here? <laughs> yeah. The, the, well, the Persians bear down on the Greeks with a combined land and sea force that is utterly okay. enormous, utterly enormous mm. uh, and, and multinational as well. It, it, it's it represented by all the different nations of the Persian Empire. And they, they, they come in to Greece, essentially from the north, the northeast of Greece. And the Greeks try to use their own geography to help them. The Greeks are going to use the land and the and the mm-hmm. sea and the climate and the weather to to help them out they so it's their intention to fight in very narrow spaces where the the overwhelming numbers of the persians will be essentially irrelevant and the and the greeks can block mountain passes and narrow seaways to uh, to fend them off that way and it I, I think I read in here, this is one of the places where, I mean, everybody's seen, well, not everybody, but there was a movie a while back, the 300 about the Spartans, right? Indeed. Is that where this tale comes from? It is. Yes, it is. Absolutely. It's because uh, wow. uh, uh, the, the uh, essentially one of the first set piece battles is uh, the Battle of Thermopylae, which is... Yeah where those 300 Spartans uh, uh, fought heroically to pretty much the last one, mm-hmm. uh, f- sort of fending off the Persians in, in, a, in a very, very narrow piece of land between, which was sort of trapped between the sea <laughs> and quite precipitous mountains. And mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the, the, the Spartans, there, there, were, there were more than 300 people there. There were other Greek allies, but in the end, it was those 300 Spartans who sort of took the fame uh, and actually took the defeat. It wasn't, it wasn't a victory, but, but sure. it, was one of those, it was one of those defeats that, that bought victory, I think, because it right. the, the thing they could do was that they could delay the Persian advance, and the Persians always had difficulties supplying themselves. They the Greeks could show that they could resist effectively. It could give confidence to the rest of the Greeks, mm-hmm. and and so in in essence, it, it bought them time and morale, and uh, I think the the will to win. Well, yeah, I was thinking on the on the flip side of that coin, it probably severely demoralized the Persians, even though they won by the sheer losses that they suffered at this seemingly easy battle, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. ab- absolutely the case. Absolutely the case. And uh, <laughs> there are there are uh, sort of remarkable moments where where Xerxes, the king, who's who's with the expedition, is uh, uh, he, he can't believe that it's happened, really. He also has a, a a Greek with him who's a, an ex king of Sparta, and they have lots and lots of conversations. and And the the Spartan is always telling him, "Look, these guys are going to fight you. You know, mm-hmm. they they have they have this weird thing called freedom <laughs> that they value above <laughs> everything else. And uh, uh, no matter how many you've got, and no matter how hard you try to make your guys fight." These guys will always fight you, and uh, they will mm-hmm. fight to the last. 
and they did. So, so you do. You you have this uh, uh, sort of constant theme, I think, of, of of Xerxes being told the truth that he doesn't want to hear and ignoring it, and of the if you like the the Greek morale being crucial to their success, I think, and also mm-hmm. perhaps a, an element of, of Persian uh, demoralization at the same time. So Thermopylae, although a defeat and, and known for this heroic last stand, is essentially the first step towards the Greek victory. All right. So were there other standout conflicts that took place um, that were notable in this, or was it just kind of a steady march to, to victory from that point on? <laughs> no, it was very much because they, 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 <laughs> the, the, the Persians were still coming. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, the, the Persians moved on from Thermopylae, which is in the north of Greece. They just headed south to Athens and burnt it because the Athenians abandoned it. But mm-hmm. the, the next phase of the resistance came at sea, the, the, the Greeks were able to, they, their, their fleet was undefeated. And uh, essentially, they knew that if they, could, if they could defeat the Persian navy, then they'd have a chance of, of success because the, the Persian army wouldn't be able to supply itself. So mm. in the end, the Athenian, uh, the great Athenian commander Themistocles uh, tricksily <laughs> lures the Persians <laughs> into a, a conflict uh, just off the back, the island of Salamis, which is uh, just off the coast of Athens, you can see it from the Athenian Acropolis. Uh, again, into very narrow waters, where the again the numbers of the Persian ships would actually play against them, and where the mm-hmm. Greeks knew the local weather conditions, they knew exactly what the sea and the wind were going to happen, were going to do on that day, and they could deploy them to their advantage to uh, to turn, the, almost literally turn the tide against the Persian invaders at sea. Wow. So was that it for this? I mean, I would think that Persia would, you know, after this, uh, after this defeat from the Greeks, I mean, there's still an empire. Was there repercussions or is this kind of like the end of that story for a long time <laughs> it, that's that's an interesting one i think it's it's not the end of the persian empire there however mm-hmm. there is a there's a there's a really wonderful play by an athenian playwright called aeschylus who fought at the battle of marathon and he may have fought at the battle at salamis as well but but he wrote this fantastic play called the persians which rather extraordinarily tells the story of the Invasion and the Battle of Salamis, but from the Persian perspective, and and this is interesting. Oh. And, and as he spins it, it is a catastrophic defeat for the Persians, and mm. it, and particularly for Xerxes. But in reality, it's it, it's it's not really. You know, Xerxes continues to rule for a very long time after this. He mm-hmm. he himself abandons Greece, but he leaves one of his commanders there. Uh, who fights another battle, actually, at the Battle of mm. Plataea the following year, where, again, the Athenian land forces get the better of the Persians and drive them out of Greece for good. It's, it's really interesting, I think, as, as a historian, that that this is major, major, major events in, in Greek history, which are brilliantly yeah. written by a particularly the historian Herodotus and, and also in Aeschylus' mm-hmm. drama. But there's almost nothing at all from the Persian side. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Which you, which you might expect in a sense, although 
it would be possible, I think, for I mean, Xerxes was quite good at propaganda. There are some fantastic sure. monuments in in Persia, what's now Iran, with uh, uh, sort of trumpeting great Persian victories. <laughs> and uh, in, in a sense, Xerxes had half achieved his mission anyway. He'd burned Athens. <laughs> he'd, uh, he'd burned <laughs> Athenian temples. So, so you, you could have had monuments that say, you know, I, I, Xerxes, king of kings, lord of this, lord of that, most powerful this, that, <laughs> and the other, uh, you know, burned Athens and showed them what's right. what. But, but, but you don't get that. It's, uh, so it, so it's, uh, in a sense, it's from the Persian side, it's relegated to a minor uh, little excursion, almost, and yet from the from the Greek and the Western perspective, it's uh, you know one of the most important uh, military campaigns ever. You know, I could see him spinning it, going or not wanting to talk about it because you know, yeah, they burned Athens, but you know, they burned a city that had already been abandoned. So it's like, yeah. did anybody, was anybody there to even care? <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. Yes. Yeah, so there was, it was basically, it was just a few old men and people who were, who were, were not able <laughs> right. to get away. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. so, so it, yes, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a sort of heroic triumph in that sense, but uh, indeed. Yeah, indeed. But, well, know. it's really cool that we have written accounts. I mean, I mean like, like eyewitness accounts of, of some of the, these battles and conflicts in this war, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And, and, you know, as an archaeologist, especially somebody who works in the United States and, and a lot on prehistoric resources, I mean, we don't get written accounts of anything unless you can read rock art, which is really hard to do. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Um, but but uh, so I'm wondering, I mean, this is the archaeology show. Now you had again. You had a lot of written resources, even the play that you mentioned, Herodotus, of course. Did you have any archaeological resources or things that were, or, or sources that were built on archaeological data to pull from for this book? Yeah, there is really because I think some of the really interesting stuff is is perhaps, if you like, environmental archaeology because we the what's happened is that the the landscape has changed and there's there's mm-hmm. been fascinating studies actually of uh, the actual battlefield sites to try and establish you know how they would have looked because the the sea levels are completely different and the uh, uh, and, and the relative land levels and also i, I think the so particularly recent investigations into into the into the climate, the wind conditions, the sea conditions, and that kind of thing. So there's, you know, there's a lot of really interesting, if you like, interdisciplinary activity going on there. And and okay. the other thing is that we we do have sort of remains from the sites. So at the uh, you know, for instance, at the Battle of Marathon, that there are the remains of of Persian arrowheads and uh, and what have you, and 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 indeed of of the of the various contingents of their army there. So the the, the sites have been excavated, and also dedications at Olympia, for instance. You know that there there are uh, the Greeks monumentalized their victories and uh, and made made dedications. So we we have. Uh, some 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 fascinating and sometimes very moving artifacts that come from the archaeological yeah. explorations for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take our final break. And when we come back, I want to talk about what we can learn, really what we can learn from the lessons of of this historical series of events and, and how this plays out in, in modern times, so to speak. So let's do that on the other side of the break. Back in a minute. 
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 193. And again, we're talking to Stephen Kershaw about his latest book, The Harvest of War published on October 4th, 2022 by Pegasus Books. And again, the link to that will be in the show notes. So check that out if you haven't done so already. All right. So I'm wondering, were you surprised by anything in your research and writing this? You've written about this before. You, you study this. You, you, you teach this. Was anything, when you were putting together this book, was it just, was it kind of collecting this story together in one place? And that was kind of like, you know, the result of this book? Or was there anything that you just were like, huh, I didn't expect that, you know, in, in looking at your research? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great question, actually. I, uh, it, in a sense, I, I knew what to expect. But then right. there's, there's always unexpected things, I, th- I think, as, as, as you write and as you explore and as you, as you dig further into things, you, you come across oh, different Different themes, different ideas, uh, different, uh, different perhaps characters and things as your research mm-hmm. push, pushes you into perhaps unexpected directions, I think. And uh, I, I think one of the, one of the nice themes that emerged from it as, as I was writing anyway was, was, was sort of this idea of, of good advice being spurned and, the disastrous consequences of that, <laughs> which mm-hmm. there are throughout the accounts that we have, the the various Persian rulers are are advised and warned and uh, and told this and that by various people, by their own people, by by Greeks, by uh, exiled Spartan kings, by uh, by the, mm-hmm. by, by a, a, also a, a culturally Greek queen as well, and yeah. uh, and and a, a constant thing of of just the the leaders will not be told they, <laughs> they they've, they've got their own ideas about uh, how it's going to go and and how it should go and there's people continually say well just 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 hold on a minute this is you're, you're underestimating your opposition and uh, <laughs> and they won't have it but uh, they learn their lessons the hard way it's funny though because like nobody learns that lesson right because you hear that throughout history you get these leaders that are just like i'm gonna do this and and it's it's my it's either my birthright or my mission or it's honor above everything else including the deaths of half of the people that live in my empire and we're gonna do this regardless and nobody ever listens to the generals and the advisors and the (laughs) the the others (laughs) it's 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 very true and uh uh, one of the other themes that comes through as well is that the, the these you know, the Persian kings are are 
mighty and powerful people, and, and they and they can exact horrific revenge on uh, on people who oppose them or uh, or resist them. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so there's also this this idea that that many of their advisors or, or the people around them are are not keen to uh, to if you like to speak truth to power. Yeah, I have no doubt, no doubt about that. So, what are some of your, you know, we talked about some of the things that surprised me. What are you, some of your big takeaways? What do you, what would you like people to to get from this book? We'll talk about some of the more modern ramifications of this, you know, democracy and all that. But uh, what are some of your big takeaways from this? I, I think I took away, which is slightly retrospective. I, I think because of the things that are happening in the world when I was uh, completing it and, and, and what have you was this, I just mm-hmm. think the, it's about the power of freedom and, and, and the, just the, 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 the wonderful way that that can inspire and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and motivate people to achieve remarkable things. Mm. The, the, the Greeks themselves were actually in their resistance were not entirely unified you know the the what what we think of greece was a, a actually a collection of individual city states who were very often were quite happy fighting one another and they, they operated mm-hmm. on a principle of uh, you know my enemy's enemy is my friend so there were plenty of people <laughs> actually who were prepared to collaborate with the persians but within if you like the hard core of greek resistance which sometimes had to be uh, really cajoled and, and, and almost bullied into to staying together they had this ideal i think of, of of freedom and the value of this and the the rule of law and mm-hmm. uh, and, and a sense of if you like of, of of overarching greekness that they that they developed and, and that for me i think is one of the powerful things that that comes out of what is again at heart an extraordinary tale of human endeavor well, you mentioned the current world events at the time of writing this. At some point, you know, throughout this book, you, we kind of talk about, and, and in the write-up that we were sent uh, again by the publisher here, you know, you talk about how this this event that happened 2,500 years ago, how this, if it had gone another way, if the Persians had actually won and defeated Greece and maybe, you know, taken it into the Persian Empire or whatever they would do with it, destroy it, destroy it completely, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> if it had gone the other way, the world would potentially be a different place right now. Can you expand on that just a little bit and, and how this impacted us today? Yeah, I, th- I think we we always enjoy a little bit of counterfactual history, don't we? The, 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 <laughs> right. the big what ifs. Uh, mm-hmm. if, uh, it's uh, a, a Scottish philosopher called John Stuart Mill in the uh, back in the day said that, said that the Battle of Marathon was more important as an event in English history than the Battle of Hastings, which was, you know, the, the greatest battle perhaps in on, uh, in many ways on, on British soil. So, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's, it's often felt that the world would, would certainly be a, a very different place from, uh, from what it is now. I think it, it could potentially have, have killed off the Athenian democratic experiment. Mm. For a start, and, and not to say that democracy wouldn't have uh, resurfaced somewhere else, but uh, sure. in the aftermath of the Persian invasions, those 
Athenian Democrats became, I think, supremely confident in their own abilities. Mm. So all of the, you know, what what we think of perhaps as the, the those amazing achievements of ancient Greece. So the the, the the drama, the architecture, the art, the philosophy, indeed the writing of history is something that comes for the most part after the Persian invasions and it happens at Athens largely. So the I think the the the, the cultural environment of uh, uh, of much of our world, you know, certainly in the United Kingdom and the United States, I'm sure would could well have been very very different. I think. Hmm. Well, that is uh, yet one more good reason to go ahead and read this book uh, because there's just so much you can so much you can learn from it, not just the story, but you know what it what it means for today. So. All right. Well, what else are you? Uh, I know you just published this book, so you're you're kind of riding that high right now. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. you, what do you have? What do you have coming up in the future? Do you have anything else on the on the on the line right now that you're kind of outlining or putting together that you can talk about? Uh, nothing absolutely specific. I actually have a. Um Although I'm, I'm just awaiting publication of a, 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 a children's book on world mythology that's that's due out from Oxford University Press at uh, okay. unspeci- unspecified uh, date fairly soon, but uh, uh, so I'm nice. just waiting just waiting for that to arrive, which uh, uh, I'm quite looking forward to. Uh, aside from that, I'm, right now I'm, I'm just knocking what. Uh, one or two ideas about about uh, uh, various um, possible <laughs> projects, in- including one with with Yale University Press about possibly uh, uh, something for a series of biographies of ancient uh, of ancient characters. That's uh, an, an attractive nice. project. Uh, but other than that, I'm I'm sort of embedded in my my normal teaching at uh, at Oxford University and uh, uh, various other things. My sort of programs of lectures and uh, a culture uh, accompanying cultural travel companies on uh, on, yeah. on sort of nice nice journeys around the the Greek and Roman world and looking at the at the sites and the uh, and exploring the history and the culture well i'm imagining you eventually hosting a uh, your own podcast on the archaeology podcast network the network i run in which this show is housed uh called biographies of the ancient world i think that'd be a fascinating show (laughs) (laughs) sounds cool sounds very cool that's very i know right i'd listen to that (laughs) so (laughs) great (laughs) me too probably (laughs) (laughs) all right steve well thank you very much for coming on the show telling us about your new book and uh, this is a, a really cool story and what i like about it is this adds a lot of substance to some of those things that a lot of us, especially students of history, have probably heard about, you know, like the 300 and the Spartans and, th- and things like that, the Battle of Marathon. But this adds all the context around that and all the other things that happen. And of course, as everything in history, it's not just those things that happen. There's a lot of stuff wrapped up in that. And you, you really dive into it here. So I really appreciate that. Uh, well, thank you very much. It's been a, a great pleasure talking to you. All right. Thank you. And next time we come back with this podcast, we should have Rachel back on. I don't think we have any interviews lined up and we'll probably do another one of our news episodes, the first one in a long time. So we'll be back with that next week. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. 
Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at archpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.